Okay, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith, and welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. Before we proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much, gracious God, for blessing us with yet another opportunity to dig deeper into your scriptures that we can be well nourished in our faith. Please be with each and every one of us. Forgive, please, our sins. And may your Holy Spirit be felt by everyone who will participate in our Bible studies today. We ask all things, O Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. All right. Good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, we do apologize for being a little bit late. It's because we had certain things we have to uh, do first, but we are here and we're so happy to have you with us. We're going to study Joseph, the reunion. The reunion we're talking about here is the reunion with his brothers. I can't wait for that because if you still remember, the brothers sold him into slavery. Turns out it was the famine that was prophesied through the dreams of the Pharaoh that would bring about this reunion between Joseph and his brothers. If you still remember from last week's episode, the famine was taking place and people from all over the world were going to Egypt to receive food and grain. And during this time, what was Jacob recommending his sons to do? Let's read Genesis 42, 1 down to 4. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So when um, famine was sweeping across the lands, it also hit Canaan very hard. And so Jacob living there, what did he want his sons to do? To go to Egypt because he heard the people were going there to buy grain. And so he sends his 10 sons. Of course, he doesn't want to send Benjamin, who happens to be his new favorite. Who was his favorite before? Joseph. Now it is Benjamin because Jacob believes that Joseph is already dead. You notice what jo uh, Jacob noticed about his sons? He said, why are you standing around looking at one another? That phrase is very, very telling. Why? Because in Hebrew, the next slide, in Hebrew, this can also be rendered as, why do you make an outward show of being well supplied? Jacob wanted to know why they were pretending and hesitant to go to Egypt for food. You know, sometimes when we are riddled with sin, it, help, it makes us pretend that everything is okay when in fact it is not. You know, if you want to become better, we need to first acknowledge that we are in a position where we need help. When people refuse to ask for help, they will not become better. I wonder why uh, Joseph's brothers were in this mode. They were in lethargy, in action. What was it that was weighing them down? Let's read Genesis 37, 33 
to 35. We read this a couple of weeks ago. Remember when Joseph was sold as a slave and then they go back home to their father's house and tell the father Jacob what had happened to him? What was the reply? Bible says he mourned. Jacob mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. That's pretty sad, right? I don't know what was going through the minds of Joseph's brother. Did they even feel a little bit of guilt? I believe if they were normal, they probably felt some guilt, right? Especially when their father was beginning to weep and mourn, and he was not uh, being, he did not allow himself to be comforted at all. Perhaps during the long years when they saw their father weeping, they were probably compelled to go to him and confess to him, Dad, we messed up. We confess to you, Joseph is still alive. We sold him to the Ishmaelites. They probably wanted to do that, but they did not do that. So they were carrying that guilt for a long, long time. Do you know what the Bible says about guilt? The book of Psalms 38, 3 down to 4, No healthy spot is left on my body because of your rage. There is no peace in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me. Like a heavy load, it is more than I can bear. You know, guilt is a powerful, destructive emotion. Too much for us to bear. It is a heavy load. It will overwhelm you and destroy you. A testimony to the power of guilt is what happened over the weekend. I don't know if you remember this, but over the weekend, next slide, there was this boxer, Charles Conwell, right? And he knocked out another boxer, his opponent, Patrick Day. And because he hit him so hard, he was knocked into a coma. And today, just today, it was, it was found out he died. The boxer died. He felt so guilty, he wanted to quit boxing. You see, guilt is powerful. As a matter of fact, if you are to visit psychotherapist's office inside the clinic, you'll find people who are suffering. Do you know what the source of their suffering is? Next slide. Many of the psychological and emotional problems that people presently suffer from today can be rooted or can be traced from unresolved guilt from the past. Guilt destroys. Guilt prevents you from becoming the people God wants you to become. This is why we're not surprised. Joseph's brothers were lethargic. They were apathetic. They did not care what was happening. They were pretending everything's fine when inside everything is rotten to the core. And you have to keep in mind how long have they been enduring with overwhelming guilt. Next slide. It's been 23 years. Can you imagine that? Bearing the guilt of sin, 23 years since they sold Joseph to slavery and lied to their father, stating that he was killed by a wild animal. So they had to wake up. And so Jacob tells them, go to Egypt and get some grain. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to live. And so that's what they do. And so when they come face to face with Joseph, what happens next? Can't wait to find out. Let's read Genesis 42, 6 down to 7. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces 
to the ground. I want to pause there for a while. What do you see there? The dream being fulfilled, right? The first dream that, Jake, that Joseph had being fulfilled. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. But, you can take a look at this. But he, what does it say? He pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we have come to buy food. And so when Joseph's brothers come face to face with Joseph, Joseph treats them harshly and pretends that he doesn't know them even though he recognizes them. You know what? Jacob's bro Joseph's brothers could not recognize Joseph. You know why? Because on their way to Egypt, they were going to speak to the governor. And the name of the governor was not Joseph. What was his name? Next slide. If you still remember, then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zaphenath Panea. And so his brothers on the, way to e on the way to Egypt were probably asking each other, who is this Zaphenath Panea? Have you heard of him before? We're going to speak face to face to him, and we're going to ask for, for an opportunity to buy grain. So they did not expect it to be Joseph. It was someone by the name of Zaphenath Panea. Additionally, Joseph was still a teenager when he was sold, right? And so he grew, he changed, his face was probably decorated, and he had put on a costume, and so he was probably unrecognizable to the brothers. And so Joseph confronted them and treated them harshly. Not only that, what did Joseph accuse his brothers of doing? Genesis 42, 8 down at 12. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. He said to them, you're spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed, your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. What did Joseph say? Yes, you are. Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has come. And so when Joseph confronts his brothers, what does he accuse them of? He accuses them of being spies. Of course, they say, no, we're not spies. We're honest men. And Joseph says, no, you are spies. Ganti, ganti lang, George. I heard that from someone, right? And so we see here something playing out. You might be asking yourself, why is Joseph so cruel? Why can Joseph just say to them, guess what? He should have took off his mask or took off his costume, whatever he was wearing. He could have just said, hey, it's me, your little bro, right? It's Joseph. Let's all have a good time here. But that's not what he did. But you know what? Joseph, all along, had a plan. He had a plan for his brothers. He had also a plan for his entire family, including Jacob. What was that plan? Uh, let's go ahead and jump. Is that okay? We're going to jump to chapter 47 to show you the plan Joseph had all along. 47, 11, and 12. So Joseph assigned the best land of Egypt. He could do that because he had power and Authority, right? So the, he assigned the best land of Egypt, the region of the Ramses, to his father and his brothers. And he settled them there, just as Pharaoh had commanded. 
and Joseph provided food for his father and his brothers and amounts appropriate to the number of their dependents, including the smallest children. And so Joseph already had a plan. He had a place, a nice place, the region of the Ramses. He had that planned even before they got there. And this plan is because he loves his family. You, you know who also has a plan for us and preparing a place for us? John 14, 1 to 3, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Who also has a plan, just like Joseph, concerning our future place to live. To live. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember from our past episodes, Joseph was a type of what? Christ, right? And so we can see a lot of the events that will take place concerning Joseph and his brothers is also connected to Christ's relationship with us. And so as Joseph was preparing a place, Christ is also preparing a place for us. However, however, this is a big however, just because Christ has a place for us doesn't mean we can go there yet, right? Why? You see, before we can go to the paradise being planned by Christ, we need to do the preparations with our hearts first. God wants to prepare us so that we can be worthy to be in that place of paradise Christ is preparing. And so in this preparation phase, before we get to the paradise or the promised land, what does God want to see in us? In the book of Romans 6, 11 and 14, so consider yourselves dead to sin's power, but living for God in the power Christ Jesus gives you. Certainly sin shouldn't have power over you. Because you're not controlled by laws, but by God's favor. What is God's intention before taking us to his holy city? He wants to make sure sin is taken out from our life. God is working in us right now, preparing us for the holy city, making sure that sin loses its dominion, its reign and power over us. But sometimes we're stubborn creatures, right? As sinners, we falter and we have weaknesses. And so what does God sometimes resort to to convince us to be serious about removing sin from our life? Hebrews 12, 7 to 9, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father, if God doesn't discipline as he does all his children, it it means that you were illegitimate and are not really his children at all. So we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us. Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of spirits and live forever? You see, God wants us to live forever. God wants us to dwell in his heavenly abode. But before God will do that, he will work on our life first, right? What will he do? Remove sin and its power over us so that we can live freely as people of God's children. This is God's intent. And what does it mean? How can we learn from discipline? Let's read Acts 3, 19 to 20. Now repent of your sins and turn to God 
so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. What is God doing in our life so that we can be prepared to partake of our share of God's glorious kingdom? God is moving us to repent. This is our work from today until judgment day. Every day we are unfolding the work of repentance. Always keep in mind, we need to always repent. What is the essence of repentance? It is to turn away from sin and then to turn to who? Our almighty God. It's like a U-turn that you make, right? When you're driving on a highway, you realize you're in the wrong direction. What do you do? You stop, make a U-turn, and you go the other direction. It's the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. When we see we are living in sin, we need to stop, we need to repent, and return to God. When we do that, the Bible says times of refreshment will come. However, we need to make a distinction between true repentance and immediate reconciliation. Next slide, please. What do we want when we commit sin? What we want, we go to God, Lord, please forgive me. Boom, you're forgiven automatically, right? Immediate reconciliation. But you know, God is working to transform us. He wants to make us better. And so what will he do? He will work on a process to deeply transform us through true repentance. When Joseph's brothers approach Joseph, do you think Joseph is going to let them off the hook? Do you think he will apply immediate reconciliation? Maybe that's what he wants. That's what we want. That's what the brothers want. But what does God want? What God wants is not immediate reconciliation. What does God want? He wants deep transformation through true repentance. So what we're going to see in this drama between the brothers and Joseph in Egypt through this reunion, we're going to see the process of deep transformation through repentance. Next slide. That's what we're going to see. Deep transformation through repentance. Joseph, on purpose, does not let them off the hook that easily. And so what do we need to learn as a principle in our life so that we can develop deep transformation through true repentance? Let's read Genesis 42, verse 13. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. Remember, Joseph is accusing them of being spies. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. And one of our brothers, who is that? Joseph. It's no longer with us. And so when they explain to Joseph who they were, and they kind of mention one of our brothers, it's no longer with us. They have not yet been able to learn or deeply repent, be changed because of the sin that they have committed. So they have to go through that transformation. Joseph knows this. God inspires him. And so he's fulfilling his part in making sure his brothers would go through this transformation. Because after all, they will represent the future of the people of God who will bring the Messiah to the whole world. And so what does Joseph insist Next, let's read Genesis 42, 14 and 16. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt 
unless you, unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I will keep the rest of the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know you are spies. And so he insists that they are spies, and they and Joseph gives his demand: bring your younger brother here. I want to see him. Mano a mano, face to face. And so what does Joseph instruct his people to do concerning the brothers? 42 verse 17. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. Now was Joseph being cruel when he took them to prison? I don't think so. I think it was all part of the plan. Why? Because sometimes good things happen in the prison, right? I mean, who grew in the prison? Joseph himself, right? He grew in the prison. He knows it can be a transforma- uh, transformative experience for people. And so he wants them to realize, I think they need to think deeply about their situation and connect the dots so that they can see what they have done in the past is affecting their present and possibly even their future. This is why they are sent to prison for three days. Lots of things can happen in three days if you're stuck in one place. Like what? Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. The Lord sent a big fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. What did God tell Jonah to do? To go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. Why? Because God wants them to repent and be saved. But Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. So instead of going there, he went the opposite direction. So what did God do? He sent us a big fish to swallow him. And in the belly of that big fish, he learned. <laughs> he learned deeply that he should be merciful and he should follow the, 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 uh, the direct command of our almighty God. So we can learn a lot, right? When we are in a difficult position, this is why the first principle so that we can learn true repentance and be transformed. Number one, it often begins in difficult situations. It's difficult to repent when you're, everything is happening. Everything is positive. Everything's going well, right? You're not going to be enticed. You're not going to be inspired to do some deep work, which is required for true repentance and transformation. So during the prison or in the prison, what did they begin to talk about? Genesis 42, 18 to 20. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth and you will not die. To this, they agreed. So he comes to Joseph. He goes back on the third day and he tells them, look, I'm a God-fearing man. This is what I'm going to do. Let's make a deal. Choose from among you who's going to stay behind. Well, the rest of you go back to your homeland with the grain, but you have to bring the youngest brother back. And so what basically we can see here is an eye for an eye kind of thing, right? I mean, they, they sold Joseph and went back to, to their father. Now one of them is going to stay behind, right? Who is that? A Simeon. <laughs> Why Simeon? Because he was one of the masterminds behind all this. So he had to learn his lesson, 
right? So Simeon, the one who made the suggestion, well, he's going to be the one who's going to stay behind. So next slide, principle number two, repentance requires a cost, enduring the consequences of sin. So while in prison, what did they talk about? Genesis 42, 21, speaking among themselves, they said clearly, we are being punished. Because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life. But we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Finally, they're able to connect the dots. <laughs> right? Before this, they could not. They could not see the connection between what's happening now and what they did in the past. Now they see the connection. God is doing something. God wants to change your life. And it begins with a confession. However... Who is one who did not really confess? Well, let's go ahead and next slide, please. So number three is it requires a confession of sin, but there's also something we have to overcome. What is that? Genesis 42, verse 22. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. Who is the one speaking there? Reuben. Instead of fully, fully confessing, what does he do? What does he do? He starts blaming. You know, we cannot be transformed. We cannot be truly repentant if we're going to start playing the blame game. All right? This is why next principle number four, once we, if we are in true repentance, we have to overcome the innate desire, the tendency of human beings to pass the blame, right? To blame someone else. Why are you in this situation? Or... Oh, they blame the parents. They blame the past. They blame their friends, right? They blame their environment. I grew up in the ghetto. That's all, I, that's all I know. And so we like to play the blame game instead of taking ownership and responsibility of the choices and decisions that we make. If we always tend to blame, we will never have true repentance. We can never be transformed. So what happens after this? Genesis 42. 23 to 24, while they were speaking, Joseph was listening. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them. Because I guess one, they were speaking in Hebrew or whatever language it was, right? And Joseph was speaking what? Probably Egyptian. So Joseph developed a new language. And the brothers didn't think that Joseph knew how to speak their language. Because they, didn't, they did not recognize Joseph as Joseph. Right? He turned away from them and began to weep. But then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. It was hard for Joseph to do what he was doing. But he knew God wanted that. Why? Because Joseph knew God wants to work in their life to transform them. But sometimes deep transformation requires a lot of pain and suffering. Right? And we as parents... We don't want to see our kids go through that. We don't want them to learn painfully. We want them to get off the hook and hopefully they can learn. But sometimes one of the worst things we can do is kind of let them off the hook so easily. So we have to learn to make sure that they go through it the hard way, learn some lessons. And so Joseph was having a difficult time. He wept, right? It was not easy for him to do this to his brothers, but he had to do it because he had to be one with God's work of 
redemption. And so when Simeon was bound, when he was uh, weeping, there's something we need to also understand about our situation. What is that? Isaiah 53, verse 4, he certainly has taken upon himself our suffering and carried our sorrows. But we thought that God had wounded him, beat him, and punished him. Who is the one referring to there? Who is suffering? Who is that? Christ. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ permits all these things to happen in our life, he also is weeping and suffering for us. This is why when we go through suffering in life, who is weeping with us? Christ. He's suffering together with us, especially when we partake of his suffering. So next principle, number five, when we are paying the consequences of our sin, enduring it, when we make a sacrifice, when we are truly repentant, the Lord Jesus Christ suffers together with us. Remember that and find comfort for the fellowship that the Lord Jesus Christ has established with us. What happens next? Genesis 42, 25 to 26, Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain, but he also gave secret instructions. Secret instructions. What is that? To return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for their journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain and headed for home. This was an act of grace, right? And so Joseph secretly gives instructions not only to give them grain, lots of extras, but also the payment, bring it back. Because they went uh, from home, I mean, from the, in Canaan all the way to Egypt with payment, right? They wanted to buy the grain. But Joseph returned all that. It was an act of grace. And so when the brothers discovered it, how did they perceive this act of grace? Genesis 42, 27 to 28. But when they stopped for the night and one of them opened his sack to get grain for his donkey, he found his money in the top of his sack. You would think he'd be happy, right? Yes, we got money back, right? Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank. <laughs> Why? Trembling, they said to each other, what has God done to us? <laughs> and so when they discovered the money, instead of being thankful and grateful, they were suspicious. You know, when a person is guilty, good things that happen to him from God, he treats it as what? A bad thing. Something bad is going to happen. As human beings, when we commit sin against God, and then God forgives us and God begins to give back what we lost, sometimes we are so suspicious, we are unable to accept the grace that God wants to offer in our life. It's the same thing with Joseph's brothers. They could not accept the money that was given back to them. Next slide, which brings us to a very important principle because all of us have this tendency, whether we like to admit it or not, do not reject the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We tend to be stuck in punishment mode. Oh, I sinned against God. I sinned against Jesus. I'm going to be punished forever. God is not like that. The Lord Jesus Christ is not like that. When he sees that we have changed, guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ wants to restore us. He wants to give us grace. But sometimes we're stuck in that punishment mode. We become suspicious of even the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will see that later too, how they cannot let go of their guilt 
They could not accept forgiveness and grace from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide, Genesis 42, 29 to 34. When the brothers came to their father, Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him everything that had happened to them. The man who was governor of the land spoke very harshly to us. <laughs> I guess they noticed that. Huh? He spoke harshly to us. They told him. I just want you to realize, brothers and sisters, what do you think would have happened if Joseph applied immediate reconciliation instead of letting the brothers go through some deep transformation? What do you think would have happened? Remember, they're kind of brats, right? Spoiled brats, thinking they could do anything they want throughout the land of Canaan, right? And then all of a sudden, you give them this palace, and they're in Egypt. What do you think would have happened? Would have been disaster in the making, right? This is why Joseph had to, he had to work together with God in making sure his brothers would be different people after this experience. So the man who is governor of the land spoke very harshly to us, they told him. He accused us of being spies scouting the land, but we said we are honest men, not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father, one brother is no longer with us, and the youngest is at home with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man who is governor of the land told us, this is how I will find out if you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take grain for your starving families and go home. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. Then I will know you are honest men and not spies. And I will give you back your brother and you may trade freely in the land. So they explained to their father what happened, why Simeon was not with them. So what does the father say? Genesis 42, 35, 36. As they emptied out their sacks, there in each man's sack was the bag of money he had paid for the brain. The brothers and their father were terrified when they saw the bags of money. Jacob exclaimed, you are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too? Everything is going against me. You can feel a sense of desperation, right, from Jacob. And we can't blame the old man. After all, he did lose Joseph, and he lost Simeon, and he might lose his favorite now, who is Benjamin. So we cannot blame him for being desperate. And so what does Reuben do? <laughs> he makes a strange suggestion. Let me know if you agree with me, if it's a strange suggestion, okay? Is that okay? Here it is. 42.37, and Reuben said to his father, you may kill my two sons. <laughs> you, may, you may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. I'll be responsible for him, and I promise to bring him back. What comforting words, right? Hey, Dad, I will take responsibility for Benjamin. If Benjamin is dead, you can also kill your grandkids. <laughs> I don't know how that works in favor of Jacob. It doesn't make any sense. So what does Jacob say? Genesis 42 verse 38. But Jacob replied, my son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead and he is all I have left. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. So Jacob is not willing to part with his son, Benjamin, right? But who wants Benjamin to be in Egypt? Joseph, who also wants, who do you think is behind all that? Who really wants the family to be in Egypt? This is God's will. All along, this was God's will. God has a plan. God wants uh, Benjamin to go to Egypt. 
but something is preventing this plan of God from being fulfilled. Who is that? Jacob. He's not willing to give up who? Benjamin. You know, sometimes God has something for us to do, but there's always something. There's that one thing that prevents us from doing what God wants us to do. We're unwilling to give it up. Do you have something like that in your life? Yeah? You know God wants you to do something, but for you to do that, you have to give something up. And sometimes we're not willing to give that up, right? Just like the rich young man. Remember the rich young man who went to Jesus, ran to the Messiah, said to the rich, to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, what do I have to do to receive everlasting life? Christ said to him, okay, obey the command. Oh, I've done that. Okay, I want you to do this. I want to sell all of your stuff, give the proceeds to the poor, and follow me. What did the rich man say? No. <laughs> he was unwilling to give up his riches. See, all of us, and I want you to find your idol, okay? I want to call it an idol. We can define an idol as something that will prevent us, something we're not willing to give up in order to follow the will of God. Jacob's idol was who? What was he not willing to give up to do God's will? Benjamin, right? So for us to have deep transformation, true repentance requires, number seven, we have to remove the idols and sins in our life. If we are willing to do that, then we are moving along towards where God wants us to be. And so Jacob refuses. But God, of course, will use the events in our life to convince us to reconsider again his will. God is a merciful God. He will give us another opportunity to do his will. And so what happens in Genesis 43? All right, we're 43 now. One to two. But the famine continued to ravage the land of Canaan. When the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, go back and buy us a little more food. So he was being pressured now by the circumstances of the situation, right? There was no more food. How are they going to live? Sometimes when we are unwilling to do God's will initially, God will tinker with our environment and create and orchestrate events in our life to kind of force us to reconsider again the will of God. And so this time, the, the, uh, the uh, famine continues to, to ravage the land of Canaan, and so he's being forced to reconsider the situation. So what does Judah, not Reuben anymore, now is Judah. So Judah is developing into becoming a leader now. You're going to see that transformation in Judah. This is why Judah is going to play a role eventually, right? And so Judah is stepping forward. Reuben is the firstborn son. But Judah is coming forth and becoming a leader. And this is what he says. But Judah said, the man was serious. When he warned us, you won't see my face again unless your brothers is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember, the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. And so, of course, so Judah says, we're not going to go unless we have Benjamin with us. So he was very adamant about that. But what was the response of Jacob? 43, 6 to 7. Why were you so cruel to me? He's blaming him. Jacob moaned. Why did you tell him you had another brother? The man kept asking us questions about our family, they replied. He asked, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? So we answered his questions. How could we know? He would say, bring your brother down here. So Jacob was suggesting, why didn't you lie? <laughs> right? Why did you have to tell the whole truth to, the, to, uh, to, uh, to Joseph, the governor? 
you could have just held back that information. And they said, well, how could we know that he was going to say, bring back your, your, bring your brother down here. And so after giving that rant, what did Judah suggest? 43, 8 to 10, Judah said to his father, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we will all die of starvation. And not only we, but you and our little ones, including your precious Benjamin, right? He's going to die too. I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gone and returned twice by now. And so here's Judah. He was uh, more persuasive than Reuben. Wouldn't you say? Right? And so what does Jacob finally say? 43, 11 to 14. So their father Jacob finally said to them, If it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags with the best products of this land. Take them down to the man as, as gifts. Balm, honey, gum, aromatic resin, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Also take double the money that was put back in your sacks, as it was probably someone's mistake. Then take your brother and go back to the man. May God give you mercy as you go before the man, so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. So Jacob finally relents. And this time, he invokes the name of God. May God Almighty give you mercy. And then he says something that is akin to taking a step of faith. What does he say? But if I must lose my children, so be it. In other words, he was willing to take a step of faith. You know, if we want to become close to God, we have to do, we have to take that first step of faith. Like Moses, like Abraham, like Jacob, right? They all took a step of faith. Next slide. So that's a principle number eight. If we want to grow, if we want to be in line with true repentance, we must be willing to do what God wants us to do, which may require a step of faith. That's when we commit our trust in our almighty God. So they go back to Egypt. What happens there in Egypt when Joseph sees them? 43, 15, and 17. So the men packed Jacob's gifts and doubled the money and headed off with Benjamin. They finally arrived in Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the manager of his household, these men will eat with me this noon. Take them inside the palace. Then go slaughter an animal and prepare a big feast. So the man did as Joseph told him and took them into Joseph's palace. Isn't that nice? They were not going to be treated as prisoners, but, but as what? Guests. Not just guests. Important guests. Why? Because he says, go slaughter an animal and prepare a big feast. This was an act of grace on the part of Joseph. He was orchestrating everything, preparing everything for his brothers. But how do they respond? <laughs> Genesis 43 verse 18, the brothers were, they were happy, right? <laughs> we get to eat in the palace. <laughs> 
you know, when you are guilty of sin and you haven't really been, you don't feel forget or the sin has been lingering for a long, long time, it's hard for you to believe that someone can be that good. You say to yourself, it's too good to be true. Can God really do this? Can Christ really do this? Right? Isn't this happening? In our, doesn't this happen in our life sometimes? When we cross the path, God has punished us. And when God begins to bless us, <laughs> we give that look. It's just for real. <laughs> it's real. And here, the story of Joseph kind of shows that. The brothers were terrified when they sat, when they saw that they were being taken into Joseph's house. It's because of the money someone put in our sacks last time we were here, they said. He plans to pretend that we stole it. <laughs> then he will seize us, make us slaves, and take our donkeys. <laughs> See what they were thinking, right? And so when they were about to enter the place, what did they immediately do? Genesis 43, 19 to 22, the brothers approached the manager of Joseph's household and spoke to him at the entrance of the palace. Sir, they said, we came to Egypt once before to buy food. But as we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks. Then we discovered that each man's money, the exact amount paid, was in the top of a sack. Here it is. We have brought it back with us. We also have additional money to buy more food. We have no idea. Guilty, huh? <laughs> Defensive. We have no idea who put our money in our sack. So they were very afraid. They could not accept the grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. They could not believe that something like this can happen to them. And so when they explain all this to the manager, what did the manager say? Relax. Don't be afraid. <laughs> right? Relax. Don't be afraid. The household manager told them, your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure into your sacks. I know I received your payment. Then he released, then he released Simeon and brought, brought him out to them. Brothers and sisters, do not reject the grace of God. You're going to suffer a miserable life if you, do not if you do not accept the grace of God. In fact, expect it. That's the kind of God we have. There are times you don't, we don't even have to ask for His blessings. He will, give it, he will give it anyways. It's His nature to give. It's His nature to bless. Don't be afraid of God's blessing and God's grace in your life. And so finally... I think they can relax now. And so where do they lead them to? Genesis 43, 24, 25. The manager then led the men into Joseph's palace. He gave them water to wash their feet. Sounds familiar? And provided food for their donkeys too? This is too good. They were told they would be eating there. So they prepared their gift for Joseph for Joseph's arrival that at noon. And so they were treated as royalty. The food was being prepared, their, their feet were being washed, even their animals were being fed. And so Joseph's brothers prepared the gifts. And so when Joseph came home, 4326, when Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought him, then bowed low to the ground before him, fulfilling the dream, right? What else? Next slide, 4327, 28. After greeting them, he asked, how is your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied. Our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low again. So Joseph inquires about his father because he obviously misses his dad, right? And so you can probably imagine he's probably becoming emotional. 
right? How is dad? That's what he really wanted to ask. But he said, how is your father? And he was glad to receive the news that he is alive and well. And then he sees Benjamin. What happens? Genesis 43, 29, 31. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. And so he blesses uh, Benjamin. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. It was an emotional scene, right? He loved Benjamin very much. You know why? They share the same mother. Who is that? He loves his young brother. He was the only brother on his side, right? During the persecution days, 20, 20 plus years ago. And so it was really emotional for him to see Benjamin. And so what does he do with Benjamin? And how, what happens in, as they were eating? Genesis 43, 32. The waiter served Joseph at his own table, and his brothers were served at a separate table. See, the Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egyptians despise Hebrews and refuse to eat with them. So there are probably two, three different tables. Joseph's table, uh, the Egyptians' table, who were Joseph's servants, and then the, the brothers, right? Guess who arranges the table where Joseph's brothers were sitting at? 43, 33, 34. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit. And to their amazement, he seated them according to age, from oldest to youngest. And so they were probably wondering, how does he know? <laughs> and Joseph was probably thinking, don't you get it? <laughs> and Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Back in those days, there was a custom, when you give a double portion, that's because you're serving a king. He gave Benjamin, not a double portion, but what? Five times. Look at the favoritism there. Right? But before we look at that favoritism, I just want you to realize, Joseph all along was planning this event, right? From what is to be the, the, the food that is prepared the washing of the feet, feeding of the donkeys, the, uh, the place that's being prepared, including the seating. And I want you to understand, because Joseph is a type of Christ, and so in our life, we need to also look at what's happening in our life and find, next slide, look for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. He's working in our life. But sometimes we're so blind to even notice it. We may be amazed at certain things, but maybe we have not yet connected that all the things happening to us is because Christ is orchestrating these things in our life. Open your eyes, brethren. Our chief shepherd is at work. He's working in each and every one of us. Notice that work in your life. Be transformed by the power of Christ in your life. Let him change you because he will never stop. That's how much he loves us. He died for us. Now that he's seated at the right hand of God, he's working in our life because he wants to take us home with him. 
We are his sheep. He loves us so much. He's willing to do whatever it takes to bring us there into his promised land. But this is a question I want to ask all of you. Next slide. Why would Joseph purposely demonstrate blatant favoritism toward Benjamin? For me, he loves Benjamin, <laughs> right? Do you blame him? Could you blame Joseph? Give him five times more? But I believe, this is just my belief, okay? I believe there's something deeper there. There's something God is working out here. Why would Joseph purposely demonstrate this favoritism for Benjamin? Next slide. What do you think God wants to uproot or to unroot from the hearts of Joseph's brothers? What do you think he wants them to remove? What brought them to the situation in the first place? What do you think God wants to remove from their hearts? What is it? Okay, next slide. She got it. Jealousy and hatred. What led the brothers to mistreat Joseph in the first place? Jealousy. They're jealousy, right? And so what does God want to do? He wants to remove that from, our, from their hearts. You see, when God, when God looks at us, there are things he wants to change in our life. And so he wants to remove the things that hinder us from becoming true children of God. He was working in the life of Joseph's brothers. And so he wanted to remove jealousy and hatred. And so now, Benjamin is highly favored. So they're being tested again. See, when God forgives us, he will lead us to repentance. When we repent, he's going to retest us. Did you get that? He's going to retest us. If we haven't passed, we have to get, take the same test. Next slide. So whenever we go through process of repentance and God is transforming our life, in the end, he's going to test us again. If we fail, we go back to number one. <laughs> if we pass, we go to the next stage. This process repeats itself until we perfect our faith, until judgment day comes. But you know, when you look at the, the history of God's people, next slide, historically, I want you to think about this for yourself. Historically, what is one test that the people of God as a whole, as a whole, okay, have not passed? What is that test? Persecution? Oppression? What do you think? Next slide. It's the test of success and prosperity. When did the people of God turn away from him? When they were blessed by God. They stopped turning to God and stopped, started looking at their own personal power and wealth and success. Isn't this what happened today during our time? It happened before. We did not pass the test. So what is God going to do? Give us what? A retest. We got to pass this time. That's why this time there is a very small remnant. When people forgot God, when people began to parade their success, when people began to boast about their accomplishments, and they began to live a corrupt way. 
there was a very small remnant. That's us. However, we too have to go through tests. Individually, God tests us all the time. And so we have to go through that process of transformation, that process of true repentance. I don't know if you noticed this, but the brother's transformation was very, very similar, very similar to a parable of Christ. Did you notice that? No? What parable am I talking about? We're almost done. Next slide. Luke 15, 10 and 12. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told in the story, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Do you remember this parable? Yeah. It's an illustration of how God and his angels in heaven, they rejoice when we repent from our sins. And so to illustrate the point, Christ gives a story, a parable about a rich father had two sons. The younger son demanded for his inheritance. And so the father relents, gives it to him. What happens next? Luke 15, 13 and 19, a few days later, this younger son packed, uh, packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields and feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You see the parallel? Here's a son. Got his inheritance because he demanded it. He left his father, went to a far land. Wasted his money in wild living. Soon he found himself in poverty. There was a famine in the land. And so he was into, he became so hungry that even the pods that the pigs, the pigs were eating, they looked good to him. And so he was in a bad spot, right? And oftentimes the bad spot is what makes you take on a path of repentance. And so he begins to confess his sins. He begins to realize, I need to go back to my father. That's repentance. Turning, going back to the father. And when he goes back to the father, what was he thinking? I don't deserve to be called his son again. I'll go, I will go to my father and expect to be a servant, right? I will ask if I can be a servant. And so when he goes back, to his father, what happens? Luke 15, 20, 24. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being, being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. You see the parallelism? There's one thing I want you to learn in this parable of Christ. Brethren, no matter what you have done in the past, 
no matter what sin you're guilty of, no matter how we think we are unworthy, even if we think that we can no longer be forgiven, I want you to remember this parable of the Lord Jesus Christ. That every day, every day, if ever you have left the Father, if ever you have rejected God in the past, every day God waits for us to go back to Him. And when we come to our senses and decide, Father, I want to go back to you. The minute He sees us walking towards Him, He will run to us. In the parable, the Father ran. He ran to His Son when He saw Him. Why? Because to that father, his son was dead. His son was lost. Now he has returned. Brethren, never ever think that you have sinned so greatly that the father has lost his heart on you. No. That's why he gave his son. And all the stories in the Holy Bible illustrate that point. That we matter to God. That we are loved by God. And if we will go to him, he will never, ever abandon us. He will embrace us. And he will even say, let's have a party. Get the calf that we have been preparing. Kill it. We will have a banquet. Because my son was lost. Now he is found. God wants to find us. And he wants to keep us. And he wants to take us to his place that he is preparing for each and every one of us. So brethren, do not ever hesitate to go to God, especially when you feel down, when you feel discouraged, when you feel like you have no friends, when you feel like no one's on your side. Oh, God is always on your side. Christ is always on your side. Never hesitate. Let them embrace you and take you to their fellowship. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Thank you for the kernels of truth that you provide each one of us. Yes. For planting seeds of hope in our hearts. Yes. We know, regardless of what happens to us, yes. no matter who may be against us, yes. you are there for your people. Amen. We cannot possibly measure yes. the depth of your love. We can only feel it. Yes. Thank you for never giving up on us. Yes. Thank you for always being there for your people. Father, we know we are sinners. May you help us to truly repent. To return to your arms for you to embrace us once again. Father, we cannot live apart from you. We have realized this, Father. And every day henceforth, we want you by our side. Never leave us, O God. Yes. Direct our steps to you. That yes. no matter what happens, Father, we will find you in our life. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, yes. our chief shepherd, yes. remember your servants today. Yes. We are weak and frail. We make mistakes, yes. yes Lord, we promise you, so long as you give us the opportunity, we will never stop repenting. Yes. We will approach you always yes. if we are being tested now. Help us to pass the test. Help us to be loyal to you until the very end. Father, bless your people all over the world. Those who have been ridiculed and oppressed. Those who have been reviled because of you. Falsely imprisoned. Father, set them free. Give us relief, O God.
Bless us with your kindness, love, and mercy. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed each one of us today. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.